0: Last week we studied the account as we're going through our study of the book of Mark. We saw last week where Herod beheaded John the Baptist at the request of his wife. Gentlemen, be careful what your wife is asking for. Now we ended that with a challenge for the men to realize that we will be the ones that are held accountable for the decisions in our family. Others don't get off, but the buck stops with the guys. Now we're going to t- uh, pick it up with the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 30. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told, them, told him all that they had done and what they had taught. Then Jesus said, Let's get away from the crowds for a while and rest. There were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. They left by the boat for a quieter spot, but many people saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and met them as they landed. A vast crowd was there as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he taught them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted, a desolate place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so you can they can go with you to nearby farms and villages and buy themselves some food. But Jesus says, you feed them. With what, they asked, it would take a small fortune to buy food from all, for all this crowd. How much food do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the crowd to sit down in groups on the, gra- on the green grass. So they sat in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the loaves and two fish looked up to heaven, and asked God's blessing on the food. Breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples to give to the people. They they all ate as much as they wanted, and they picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. 5,000 men had eaten from those five loaves. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the miracles that you do in our life, and thank you that you have compassion on us as well. So we ask you to feed us your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we, accounted, we did the study on Jesus. No, last week we didn't include Jesus and in the disciples. This was all about Herod and his wife and uh, John the Baptist. It was basically a story that was, that was occurring while the disciples were out, kind of like a parentheses type of thing. The disciples were out doing their miracle thing. And while that was happening... Herod's back there with his wife and and John the Baptist. That's happening while the guys were out. Now, two weeks ago, we ended with this verse. Verses 12 and 13, it says, So the disciples went out, telling telling them all they met to turn from their sins, and they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. So, last week, we kind of paused from that. We talked about Herod and John the Baptist. Now we're getting back into that same story the disciples are just coming home after doing all these miraculous things. They're preaching ministry. They're back home. And Verse 30 says, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and what they had taught. So they're all, they're all excited. They're coming back. All these great things had happened. Jesus, let's tell you what we did. Now, Mark uses the word apostle here. Now, the other gospels don't use that, t- that term apostle, but these guys were, in fact, doing apostolic work. As we talked about the differences between the the gifts or the office of apostle, we talked about that earlier. These guys were actually apostles. They had seen the risen Jesus and they were doing that work. So you imagine how excited they are coming back and telling Jesus everything that happened. How many of you have little kids and when they go to, to meet their friends or go play and they come back and they tell you every single thing that they did while playing. And usually what they tell you takes as long as they did while they were playing. When we take the kids in the car, they will talk from the entire ride. Telling us all that they did and all that they're gonna do and all that they wanna do. So these guys come back, they're pretty stoked. They're pretty excited about what's happening. Now, if it doesn't say that they prayed and it didn't happen, we assume that everything they prayed for was healed or were healed and people were delivered from demonic possession. So These guys are coming back. Everything that they did, everything they touched and prayed for, we assume was was, God had accomplished. So they're all talking at one time. They're trying to get their stories heard by Jesus. And if you have, I heard Bill Cosby do a routine once. If you have one child, yeah, you don't have kids. If you have two children, now you have kids. Because, right? And when you have three, now you're outnumbered. So as, there's no longer one per child. They, they have more of them than there are of you. So, and they're all trying to get their stories in at the same time. Well, That's exactly what was happening with the disciples. They're all coming back, and there's 12 of them. They're all talking at one time, telling Jesus, hey, look at all these things we do. What does Jesus do? In verse 31, says, Then Jesus says, Let's get away from the crowds for a while and rest. There were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. They left by boat for a, for a quieter spot. Now, we did a study on the Sabbath a while ago. If you remember, the Sabbath was something that was given specifically for the Jewish people. That was their thing. It was their covenant with God, rest on the Sabbath. But the principle still applies. God gives us a day of rest. He wants us to take time and rest. We're not under the Sabbath. We don't do church on Saturday. We don't have to adhere to that. But the principle still applies. We all need to take time and rest. Jesus needed to take time and rest. And if Jesus needs to rest that's good enough for me, right? We all need to rest. There's an uh, author by the name of Vance Havner. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He says this, if you don't come apart and rest, you will come apart. Even Jesus needed to take time and rest and fellowship with his friends. If Jesus needed to do that, then I believe we need to do that as well. Now at first, Jesus and the disciples, they had to go to the people. Now they're coming back and they were coming, now the people were coming to them. First these guys went out, now they heard about them. Rather than the guys going out, people were coming to them. There were so many people, and so often, the Bible says they didn't even get time to eat. And I'm sure if they're not eating, they get crabby, right? What's the commercial, you're not yourself if you don't have a Snickers bar? Yeah, these guys were getting crabby. In ministry and just life in general, there will be times that we are pressed for time, that something just happens all the time, bang, bang, bang. We also need to take time to be away from that, away from the crowds, away from the masses, and just fellowship, maybe with your close friends, your family, just a small group, maybe just yourself and your spouse. Notice at first that Jesus left those who needed him to take time to rest. So there was a time where people who needed something from Jesus didn't get it because Jesus had to rest. You know what that means? As Christians, we don't have to be always on doing our thing, meeting every need without taking time to rest. Jesus left those in need for a time to go take time to rest. And sometimes we need to leave those in the crowd so we can rest and regroup. If we don't do that, we will no longer be any help to anybody. Another issue here is also presenting itself. That was the growing opposition to Jesus and his disciples. Now, John was just beheaded. We read that last week. So it beginning to start. Persecutions began to happen. And evidence was there that the times were going to get harder. The atmosphere in the town was changing. Now they had to be careful about what they said and where they went. And if you remember, we talked about Jesus not wanting the world to know yet. You know, my time hasn't come. Don't share. Don't tell what I did. Why? Because this is what's happening now. Persecution's coming. Word's getting out everywhere. And not everybody's happy with that. So Jesus says, okay, we need to get away. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen from here on in. It's going to be difficult. Even in today's world, hostility seems to be mounting against believers. How many have seen that? Heard about it? In other parts of the world, there's a a group called the Esther Project, and their title of this article was Persecuted Church Statistics. Their stats are 332 Christians are killed each month. 214 churches are destroyed each month. 772 forms of violence against Christians each month. And about 1,093,000 Christians were martyred between the years 2000 and 2010. How many of you listen to David Jeremiah? He's doing a good good series on socialism now. You see the increased desire for socialism in this country. Expect that to happen here. Because the first thing socialism does is get rid of religion. Because you no longer can worship something other than the government. I shared in our class this morning that and I think you all know this, never in the history of the universe has socialism ever worked. How many agree with that? Never. Not ever. But we're going to do it differently. So when that happens, and people wanting more and more, but they said like 40% of you know, younger people think it's a good idea. If that happens, you can expect more difficult Persecution. I mean, just look at Canada, what's happening in Canada with churches and Christians up in Canada. The Bible says it's going to get worse before Jesus comes back, so we shouldn't be surprised if this is going to happen. So they're spending time resting, they're fellowshipping, and they're probably preparing the guys for what's going to happen. Jesus is getting them ready for what's, what's next. But even while they took the boat and sailed to the other side, people were still clamoring For Jesus, verse thirty three. But many people saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and met them as they landed. A vast cry was there as he stepped from the boat. I can just picture him crossing this lake, and the guys were just running around the uh, the perimeter of the lake trying to get to the other side before Jesus did. And they and they must have made it. Now, remember most of these folks were following Jesus for the miracles. Not not the sermon, not the not the gospel. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm getting kind of upset. Dudes, leave me alone for a minute. I know you're not here to hear what I say. You're only here to hear what I to see what I do. So just give me a minute. How many of you young parents want ten minutes of alone time? You think you can get it in the bathroom? <laughs> Knocking the door. My, my grand my granddaughter. Mom, uh, mom, 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 mom. Like nonstop, like, like one word. So these people are running after Jesus, same thing. I want something, I want something, I want something. But instead of being irritated like most of us would be, Jesus had compassion on them. Verse 34 says, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he taught them many things. People who don't know Jesus may sometimes be irritating and annoying, but we Christians are never irritating and annoying, right? We are always. But remember, Jesus, just as Jesus said, "There's sheep without a shepherd." We need to show them love and truth. When Jesus was on the cross, what did He say? Burn them up, Lord. No, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We have to remember that people don't understand what we believe, so we have to be careful to tell them what we believe without beating them up about it. 1 Peter 3.15 says, And if you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But you must do this in a gentle and respectful way. He knew they needed to hear the word. He knew they needed food and he needed what Jesus had. And so he had compassion on them. So Jesus teaches them for a while, obviously telling them about salvation. It doesn't say what it talked about, but I'm sure God, Jesus put the salvation message in there. Talked about God's love and forgiveness. And before you know it, it's evening. <laughs> Time gets away from him. It's later than they thought. Verse 35 says, Late in the afternoon his disciples came to him and said, This is the desolate of the place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy themselves some food. Now, the disciples were concerned about the folks. They wanted them to eat. And, you know, it's not 12 o'clock yet, so it's not past lunchtime. Got to let them out before noon before the, the bell rings. And let them get food on the way home. Which, by the way, that's not going to happen on the hot dog thing, right? When you leave, you're going to get food on the way out. But it's afternoon. Let's let's get them going before it gets dark and it's too dangerous to walk. They don't like driving in the dark. Let them go. So, seem logical, easy. All right, it's 12 o'clock. Guys can go ahead home, get yourself something to eat. But Jesus throws a monkey wrench into the plan, right? Verse 37 says, Jesus says, you feed them. Now, these guys need to do something about feeding them. There's no, no giants around. There. There's nothing to buy. He was asking them to do something that in the natural was impossible. Maybe we really couldn't do it without the help of Jesus. And that's where Jesus wants all of us to be. <laughs> in our life, realizing there's not, that we can't do this without Jesus. Now, you remember, these guys just come back from doing miracles, delivering people from demonic possession, healing people, all these great miracles, and now they get kind of worried about what God's gonna do next. How often do we forget what God's word says and how often do we forget what God has done through us the next time something comes up that we're worried about? Well, God delivered me from that, but I'm worried about it today. They forget all the miracles and healings and they're reverting to their own thinking. Just going back to the natural man. Verse 37 says, with what? They asked it would take a small fortune to buy food for all this crowd. And without a miracle from Jesus, a very true statement, that they're not gonna be able to do this. It's impossible. But instead of a problem, this was an opportunity for them to trust God and give him glory. Because all these people are going to see this miracle happen. And especially to the disciples, to see one more miracle. So I wrote down here, let's bring this closer to home. We look at the property situation with natural eyes. It's a small fortune to fix whatever that's going to be. And it's a fortune that we don't currently have. We got about five loaves and two fishes. And we got to feed 5,000. But I believe this is an opportunity for God to be glorified. An opportunity for us to see what God's doing in this situation. The disciples didn't have anything. True, they, didn't have, they had nothing. Even with five loaves and two fishes, that's nothing. But God. Just like there's no food and we can't feed this crowd, there's no way we can afford to move whatever we got to do what did Jesus say how much food do you have go and find out God does equip us with enough that he can work with faith the size of a mustard seed not faith the size of a pumpkin it's faith the size of a mustard seed God gives us enough to work with five loaves two fishes What's that mean? God wants an honest assessment of what talents and abilities you actually have. Look at your life personally. Give yourself an honest assessment of what you bring to the table. Well, I can only do this, that, and the other. Fine. God's gonna work with that. Everybody has something to bring. And it doesn't have to be much. But it does have to be willingly given. Mark 6, 38, they come back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, Mark doesn't uh, elaborate on this, but John's gospel account does. In John 6:8, it says, then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. So this boy could have, like, hid that stuff and said, nope, oh, this is for me. I'm not telling anybody I have this they're gonna take it from me. We assume from the writing that he gave it up. Here it is. Here's my five loaves and two fish. I'm giving you all the food that I have for my family right now, but I'm giving it to you. Doesn't say the guys had to fight him for it or put up an argument for it. And the amount that he had in comparison to what they needed was what, a pittance, right? It wasn't anything. Now I did, when I was reading the commentary on this, the loaves that they had then, are not like our loaves of bread today. They were barley loaves and they were small and they were flat. And one person could eat several of them at a meal. Where's Mark? (laughs) It's like thin pizza. You go to Infinito's Pizza like we do, the guys do, and we eat like 50 slices of these pizza because they're small and thin. These loaves were small and thin pieces. One person can eat several of them. So it wasn't like he had a whole loaf of bread that he was going to break up. He had five little pieces of bread. But it wasn't the amount of food. It was the willingness of the boy to give the food to Jesus. It is not your massive amounts of talents and abilities and possessions that God needs. If you just have a pittance of whatever God is asking for, God's going to take it and multiply it and make it a blessing to somebody else. How often do we think that what we have to offer really isn't good enough? I'm sure everybody falls into that bracket. Everybody in the Bible did. Moses, I can't talk. Aaron, I can't really talk that well either, but I'm going to do it. Jeremiah, Paul, everybody. No one thought they were good enough. It's not that you have to be good enough. It has to be that you're willing to do it. John's John's gospel says, what good is that with this huge crowd? It's not your ability. It's your availability. In ourselves, you are not sufficient to do God's work. But if you give to God what you do have, watch him use it in ways that you never thought possible and then you'll see what God can do. You'll see things that God does in your life that you never thought you could do. It's like, wow, God did that with me? Going back to Mark's gospel, it says in verse 39, then Jesus told the crowd to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat in groups of 50 or 100. Now, does that sound vaguely familiar? He had them sit down in green grass did I just read this morning Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd Jesus said there are sheep without a shepherd I have everything I need he lets me let rest in green meadows he told them to sit and rest on the green grass a perfect example of what Psalm 23 talks about rest Jesus is the shepherd he's going to take you he's going to feed you now later we see that there was five thousand men, not to mention women and children. So there had to be an order, so they could more effectively distribute the food. They couldn't just be a mass of people. They had to get order involved. I mean, you know that God is a God of order, which I like because I'm a guy. I, I like OCD. I'm an ordered kind of guy. Now, Jesus didn't take the food and just go, catch it. He had a plan, he had an order and a method. It's okay to assess the situation and plan for what God wants to do in that particular moment. Now, we have schedules in the church. Anna is the queen of schedules. Every time I'm talking to her, oh, I'm making a schedule, I'm making a schedule. Awesome. We have a program that we call, we use for the worship team and the sound called Planning Center. So we plan what we're going to do on Sunday morning. We just don't wing it or fly by the seat of our pants. We have an order for what God's going to do. But we don't let that order interrupt what God may want to do instead of that. We have a schedule that, this here schedule, that tells me what's coming next. And we use it, but we always pray, let us be sensitive to the Holy Spirit for what God wants to do in that time. He may wanna say something, he may wanna do something, I'm not sure, but we wanna be sensitive to that, but we do have a plan. Jesus had a plan. Put them in groups of 50 or 100, then I want you to go and pass it out in order. Now, we plan But in our plans, we always allow room for God to do what he wants. Because Jesus told them to do this before he multiplied the food. He said, I got five loaves. Go put them in groups of 50 or 100. Okay, Jesus, you got five loaves. All right. I'm not sure what you're gonna do with this, but I'll I'll do what you asked me to do. How often do you feel God telling you to do something, but you have no idea of how it's gonna work out? Our job in life is just to kind of work God's plan, right? God's job is to show up while you're working the plan. God always tells you to move before he does his part. Moses had to put his foot in the water before it parted. You got to move before God tells you what the next step is. If we didn't have to do that, We wouldn't need faith. If Jesus multiplied the fish and there was all kinds of fish there, then he said, go break them up. Oh, awesome, this is great. I know what you're gonna do. No, he said, separate them first. Didn't tell me anything else yet. Separate them, put them in groups. Then you're gonna see what I'm gonna do next. So they did it, they obeyed, they did it. Okay, Lord, they're they're in groups. Now Jesus separates or blesses the food. Mark 6, 41, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven and asked God's blessing on the food. Breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fishes to his disciples to give to the people. Now, it never tells us how this is accomplished. I wonder, did he just like keep breaking bread off and just kept never ending with the bread? Did he have a basket and just appeared? It doesn't tell us. Did he just kept pulling them, you know, getting in the bag and pulling out one fish and then another fish and another fish and another fish. fish. It's like the old magician trick that you have something that's this small and he pulls this big thing out of it. I'm thinking, he just kept pulling fish out of this small little bag. Notice that the disciples weren't the ones who multiplied the food. They only distributed the food. Jesus did the miracle. God does the work in us. We are only the vessels that God uses to distribute his blessing. If the guys didn't distribute the food, people wouldn't have eaten. Jesus multiplied it. He does the miracles. But he used people to carry out the work. In other words, God may use you to fulfill the blessing to somebody else. God may want to use you to give somebody else something or bless somebody else in some way. He wants to do it, but he wants to do it through you. And if you don't do it, maybe it doesn't get done. If the disciples didn't distribute the food, it didn't matter that the food was there. Folks wouldn't have eaten. People are God's instruments for his blessing. And what happens when we are sensitive to what God wants to do? Verse 42 says, they they all ate as much as they wanted. Jesus fulfills the needs of people through the obedience of other people. When my grandkids come home from Rock Church, they're bringing these papers and they're jumping up and down, all excited about what happened. They're excited because there were leaders in the room to do the teaching and to pass out the papers and to encourage the kids. If they went to an empty room, they wouldn't, go very, they wouldn't go very much. What we do for the Lord continues on to the people into which we bless. Verse 43 says, And they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers, leftover bread and fish, the amount of time and effort you put into whatever God calls you to do will stay years after you do it. More than just at the moment that you do it. How many of you remember great things that others have done for you years after they've done it? Maybe it's a testimony you gave or a class that you had or a particular teacher you had a preacher or a dinner or just a listening ear. I remember when I was in high school, I, had, I took Russian for three years. Not because I was great, but I liked the teacher. She was nice, pretty. And uh, I, I just loved going to her class. And that was the class I did the best in. I don't speak three words of Russian today, but that's, I enjoyed the class. Because I remember the teacher. And that was few years ago. I remember my eighth grade English teacher, Mrs. Schenefeld. Why? Because she made class enjoyable. That was 100 years ago. Never underestimate the impact you have on people by doing what God asks you to do in their life. if you're able and willing to be used by God. One guy, one little boy who brought his bag lunch to to follow Jesus, God used him to bless 5,000 people and then some because it's just the men. 12 guys passing out food to the crowds and what happened? Verse 44 says, 5,000 men had eaten from those five loaves. you may think, what can God use little old me for? What can this small family do? What can this small church do? If you're willing to give God whatever time, talents, abilities, or resources that you have, regardless of how well you think you do them, God can explode that and reach multitudes. One kid with one little bag of lunch Fed five, probably 10,000 at least people. Men, their spouses and how many kids did they have? One. Little guy who was obedient and willing to give up what little he had. God blessed it and five or 10,000 people were blessed. So the question you have to ask yourself is what do I have Or what can God use me for that will have the same effect on other people? And it may be one person. It may be 20. It may be a multitude. But you never know where it's gonna go beyond that. How many remember, who knows, Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher? I'm sure somebody does. He's the guy that led Billy Graham to the Lord because he was faithful to teach a Sunday school class. D.L. Moody, same thing. He grew his church through his Sunday school classes. Huge. Why? Because people were willing to give up time. It wasn't the preaching, I mean, they enjoyed the preaching, but he built it through Sunday school classes. Because people were willing to give what little they had in their time or talents and abilities, and it reached multitudes of people way beyond whatever they were able to accomplish. So the question here is, are you ready? But are you willing? And I'll just throw a little plug out for VBS. We have the opportunity to reach who knows how many kids. And how many people do we know that have a testimony that I got saved at a VBS? Y'all watch Tiff? He got saved when he was five years old. He'll tell you. Five years old. Don't know who led him to the Lord, but you see all the stuff that he's doing. You have the ability to really affect someone's life for the positive. And it doesn't matter. What's the saying? They They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a theologian it to be somebody who cares about whatever God calls you to do. And I really care about the people that God sends me to. I think this little boy was really concerned about the people needing to eat. He saw the crowds. He saw they were hungry. He said, that's more important to me than my food. If, God, you can use that to feed somebody else, I'm okay with that. Maybe God wants to use you for something that you don't even know yet. Or maybe something you've been wrestling with for a long time. We heard Josiah's testimony last week. He didn't want to do it. But God told him to do it. And now we're gonna see where God takes that. Would you stand as we close this morning? Close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. signs to a healthy church or at least two but two big ones first sign is you have multi-generational church which means you have little kids all the way up to senior adults if you're out of balance on either end of that you need to get it in balance we have a great a great span of, of generations in this church and I'm excited about that And the second sign is you have a good base of folks that are doing work for God's kingdom in the church. If it was up to me to do everything, you'd never get it done. Anna would get it done, but I can't get it done. But the more folks you have at the base of a building, the more bricks you have at the base of a building, the taller the building can go. If the base is small, the building can't get very high. We have an increasing number of folks who are on the base of what God's doing in this church. Which means, the more you have on the base doing the work, the higher the building's gonna go. The higher the work of God is gonna go. And that excites me as well. Because I know it's not me. It's not anyone in particular. It's God moving. God is touching people's hearts. I can't convince you to do anything. God can do it. God can call you. God can use you to fill a spot. God can use you to bless someone. Maybe your ministry is just to pray. And boy, do we need that. God does nothing except by prayer. Maybe God's calling you to talk to your neighbor. Maybe God's calling you to talk to your friends at work. if our church is going to grow and we're going to reach people with the love of God we have to be a lot of us doing that work we got a good solid base of folks who love Jesus and are doing what God's called them to do but I know there's more I know there's more folks here that God is speaking to that God wants to use in whatever way that might be and the more base we have, the more people we can reach. And the more glory we can give to Jesus. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you've never really committed your life to Christ. You don't even know what that means. What's that mean, being born again? What's that mean, committing your life to Christ? Or ask Jesus in my heart. Well, the Bible says that we're all, we're all sinners. We all sin against God. And even though we think some sins are not so bad, The Bible says the wages of those sin is death. In other words, you sin, you have no relationship with God. You're dead to God. But the Bible also says the gift of God is the sacrifice that Jesus made to pay your debt. We're in debt to God for our sin. We we can't pay him back. But God says, I'm gonna send you someone who's gonna pay that debt for you. He's gonna wipe that slate clean. And the only thing you have to do is believe it and not just in your head but in your heart the bible says as many as receive him those are the people he gave the authority or the right to be called children of god we're not christians because we're alive we're christians because we've asked god to forgive us of our sins through christ the bible says when that happens your life takes a radical change. The things you didn't want to do, you do. The things you don't want to do, or you didn't want to do, now you do. The things you didn't want to do, everything changes. Because you now have, the Bible calls, the mind of Christ. It doesn't mean you're weird, it just means you have new, new goals and new ideals. And you talk to anyone who's a Christian, they'll tell you what, changes God has made in their life all for the better but you have to come to the point where you say yes Jesus I know I'm a sinner I know that my life is not perfect and I know that my life does not merit me to heaven and I can't work good enough I can't be good enough to make it no matter what I do I can't make it the only thing that's gonna get me in the only thing that's gonna give me peace in this life is my relationship to Jesus so if you're here and you've never done that, but you really want to know what that's about, today's the day to do it. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Not next week, not next Sunday, not Christmas, today. God's affording you the opportunity. He's drawing you right now. He's saying, this is the moment, man. This is the moment. Step out and see what I can do. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand because God wants, God's dealing with you and God wants to pray with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're one of, those God, one of those ones that God is tapping on the shoulder and saying, hey, uh, you got any fish in that bag there? You got any loaves that I can use? What talents and abilities do you think you don't have that God may say, you know, I think I can use those. They're not a lot, but I can use them. You answer that call and I guarantee you, you'll see God working. And you'll see miracles happening in your life. Things you never thought could happen. Maybe you're here and you're one of those folks that you're just giving it your all. That's awesome. And that's amazing. We're appreciative. And, and more than that, God is, God is pleased. But sometimes you need to get apart. Sometimes you need to rest a little bit. Step away from the crowds for a moment. Every time Jesus stepped away, it was only momentary. it's only for a short time. Then he got right back at it. Maybe you need to check your calendar and say, you know what? I need to slow down. I need to take a break from this. I'm coming back, but I need to take a break. And that's okay because God will rejuvenate you during that time, and then God will fill your spot while you're not there. But you're going to come back. Any of those three scenarios, we're doing what God calls us to do. And if we're obedient to that, then we're going to see God move. And I'm excited for what God is doing now and what he will continue to do if we stay in this same path. So, Father, we do come to you now in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for calling us, for reaching down into our life, Lord, being long-suffering with us and allowing us the opportunity to make that choice to believe and, and follow you. And then, Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunity to share that great news with somebody else. The excitement we have, allow us to be able to share that Allow us to be able to use whatever gifts and talents you've blessed us with to bless other people. And the more that we bless them, the more that we will be blessed. As we leave this morning, I pray you would fill each person with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to experience your love, your compassion, and your calling. We are energized by what we see you do through us. And we get more excited to see what's coming next. So Lord, this church is yours and I pray that you would just have your way in each person's life. You know the situations we're facing. Lord, you gotta handle that one too. But we're not worried, we're not fearful. We're excited that we serve a God who is sovereign over all. You rule and you overrule. So Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person as we leave. Allow us to experience you every day. Every day. Let us just sense your presence every day. Let us know that you love us every day. Father, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday.